This evening we are looking at 1 John chapter 3 verses 4 and 5. 1 John chapter 3 verses 4 and 5. This is what it says. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. We notice these verses are giving us uh, two different uh, worldviews that people have. In other words, you know, it's a clear-cut divide. Either it is this or this, you know, black or white. There's no gray area in between. Either you're a believer or not a believer. You know? There's no question of I'm moving from an unbeliever to a, you know, a believer. So these are very two clear-cut you know, divisions that are mentioned. You know? One is godly and the other one is you know, ungodly. Or the word that is used here is lawless. Okay. So, when we belong to God, you know, when we are believers, we belong to God. When we have not responded, we belong to Satan. These are the only two types of people. Now, a person cannot say, you know, oh, I don't belong to Satan. No. If you don't belong to God, you actually belong to Satan. The ESV translates this uh, verse like this. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, sin is lawlessness. In other words, you know, it's a whole issue of practicing lawlessness, practicing lawlessness. And the word that is used here for lawlessness is a much bigger understanding than just breaking a law, okay? It's not just breaking the Old Testament laws, you know, but you know, it is more than breaking a specific law. It is actually revolting against God or rebelling against God. This is why it's spoken of as a practicing. Practicing is a continual doing. It is not just one sin that was done, but it's a continual practice of sin, which is what rebellion is all about. So in other words, John is hitting at the truth that sin at its core is much worse than just an outward breaking of a commandment. To practice sin is to be in an open rebellion against God. Now, why does John you know, start off like this? J.C. Ryle in his in a, in a commentary writes that a knowledge of sin or a right knowledge of sin right, lies at the root of all saving Christianity. If a person does not know or realize the danger you know, of sin, then that person is not really able to get the right remedy for sin. This is why, unless a person recognizes that he or she is a sinner, then and then only they would want a savior. If a person thinks sinner, they are good people, they are not really sinners, then you don't really require a sinner, they would think of. This is why, you know, Christianity and salvation is not just how to live a happy life or how to improve our self-esteem. This is speaking about Christ dying on the cross for our sin. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is rebellion. The sinful nature within us, sinner. This is what sinner, Jesus came to pay for. And that's what he's writing in these two verses. Now, obviously, the false teachers were trying to... Uh, minimize the serious nature of sin 
and that is what Satan's strategy always has been. Some of the false teachers, the Gnostic thinking, the emphasis was what was done in the spirit is important, what is done in the body is not really important. And John is writing this to explain what sin is. Sin is that you know, lawlessness, that rebellion against God. So, a person who does not recognize this, that he or she has the sinful nature of rebelling against God, a person may say, you know, I may not be perfect enough, but I'm not really a wretched sinner. This is the, the thought that a lot of people will have before they come to know Christ. Before they come to know Christ, if a person shares the gospel with them and says that, you know, look here, you need Christ because you are a sinner, they say, no, no, I'm not a sinner, I'm really a good person. It was Swami Vivekananda who mentioned that Christians have committed the greatest sin by calling man a sinner. Because Hinduism basically speaks about, you know, man is divine. How can you call man a sinner? But the biblical understanding of salvation and sin is that man is essentially a sinner. Or he was, practices sin, he is lawless because he belongs to Satan. Now, Satan is another one who puts these thoughts or puts these uh, ideas about mankind into the heart of man so that you know, he or she is prevented from responding to the work of the Savior. Satan wants to pull down God from his absolute holiness. Okay? So this is the thoughts that he will put into the minds of people to say, surely a loving God understands that I'm only human. Okay? A lot of people will say, after all, it's human to sin. He will not send someone as good as me to hell. Okay? So that's the thought that people will put in. I'm a good person. Why should you know, judgment come upon me? Why should I go to you know, hell? So what he tries to do is pull down the image or the holiness of God because sin is rebelling against a holy God, you know, which was only satisfied in our watch, only met you know, by the death of Jesus on the cross. So that is why Satan works to undermine you know, the cross. That the cross is not important. You are really you know, pretty good. Why do you really need another you know, cross? You know? You're a good person. That is the mindset of the people in the world. Now, lawlessness you know, is actually, you know, having thinking that your ideas are superior to God's. When God says you are a sinner, and if a person says, no, no, I'm not a sinner, I'm a good person, that is what lawlessness is. That is what you know, uh, sin is all about, rebellion against God. So Satan works to nurture and cultivate the pride that puts its own desires above the law of God. And this is what lawlessness is. This is what is the essence of sin. And this is what Jesus came to destroy in you and me. So he starts off by explaining what this lawlessness is and mentioning it clearly that if your life is a life of sin, practicing sin, then you don't really belong to God. You know? Even though you may think you are a pretty good person, not as bad as the other person, but in God's sight, you know, you don't really belong to him. So this is why he then in verse 5, he says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. 
So if you notice, he's constantly drawing this contrast, you know, between the people of the world, the unbelievers, the individuals are following after these false teachers, and the one true believer. He's helping them to understand, where do you fit in? There's no halfway, you know, either you're here or you are here. So he says, you know, <coughs> you know. In other words, he's saying, hey, you're aware of this. The word that is used there for uh, knowing basically speaks about an inner understanding, an inner knowledge, if you were to say, which is given by the Holy Spirit. The, the Bible says God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we belong to him. This is the knowing. It is not a head knowledge, you know, but a, that inner knowledge, the inner assurance that the Spirit of God gives to us when we have responded to him, responded to the death of Jesus on the cross, accepted the fact that he paid for our sins and allowed him to take control of our lives, then he by the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. And when he dwells in us, he's the one who gives us that knowledge. This is the knowledge that is spoken of. You know, it is not, you know, you have come to some conclusions after going through four steps. No, this is that inner knowledge, the inner assurance that God gives to us that you now belong to him. Now, how do we get that assurance? You know, it is because Jesus appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. So, if sin is lawlessness, sin is totally opposed to Jesus totally opposed to Jesus. And this is why he says, Jesus came to take away these sins, take away these sins. Remember John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is the purpose of Jesus, okay? Just as much as Satan tries to put a thought to say, hey, look here, you're a good person, you don't need the Savior, Similarly, Satan also uses the false teachers to say, hey, Jesus came to give you a good example, moral teaching. Jesus gave this example that you should love one another, fight for injustice, and you know, that justice would be given, raise the poor, uplift the poor. This is what Jesus came to do. Now, that's all byproducts you know, of a right relationship with God. But Jesus primarily came to pay the penalty for our sin. He came to take away the sins, take away the sins by his own body on the cross. So this is why if the, on the first category he has not succeeded, then he tries to work it out on the second category so that the preachers, the false preachers are only working on how you can improve your life here on earth, the health, wealth, gospel, or fighting for all, you know, uh, lifting up the downtrodden. If you have done that, have you brought salvation to them? They have not understood the fact that they are sinners, that they need God, that Christ is their savior. It is all incomplete. It is not genuine. And that's what Satan loves to do. So that's why John writing to confirm the believers, you know, their status in the sight of God, he says, you know, if you and I have responded, if there has been a time in our lives when we have acknowledged, Lord, I am a sinner, I need you, I cannot do without you, then we have responded to him and we have received Christ into our lives as our Lord and Savior. But if you thought that you are a good person, you responded to Christ so that you can become better, or you thought by doing all the good things that Jesus has asked you to do, that you will somehow become better over a period of time, 
Remember, you're not inching from one to the other. <laughs> Either you're a believer or you're not a believer. That is the reality that John is speaking about here. Okay, And he mentions over here very clearly that you know, he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. The only way whereby he could take away the sins was so that he would be sinless himself. One who has the sinful nature cannot pay for the sin of another. But Jesus, when he was born into this world, by virtue of his virgin birth, there was no sin nature transmitted to him. The Bible tells us everyone who is born into this world is born in sin. The sinful nature of Adam and Eve have been communicated, transferred from one generation to the other. But when it came to Jesus, that which was conceived in Mary was of the Holy Spirit. So Mary did not have any part. You know? It was conception had already taken place. The a babe was, if you were to say, the, the embryo was implanted in the womb of Mary. Because if we say that Mary had a part to play, sinful nature is there in Mary. Mary was not sinless, you know, and that is also then transferred. So that when you're thinking about the virgin birth of Jesus, we are speaking more of the sinless conception. That conception took place outside. Mary's womb was used. That is why, even in her magnificent, she addresses Jesus as her Savior. So that is the important aspect of this, you know, that Jesus is without sin. That is why he could become the perfect sin bearer and take away our sins. So John's point in this verse is that followers of Christ cannot practice sin as their lifestyle. They're bent in their life because this will be totally incompatible with the work of Christ to take away our sin, to take away the power of sin. We were spiritually dead. We could not do anything about it. We yielded to sin. And if we continue to yield to sin, continue to have that same lifestyle, then John is saying, hey, something is wrong. Because if Jesus has come into your life to take away your sin and you're still practicing sin, you don't really belong to him. So this is the important aspect, the important truth that John is communicating. You know, you know this, that he has come to take away. That is the purpose for Christ's death on the cross. So if a person says they know Jesus and yet continue to practice sin, they don't really know him. If you notice, this is the theme that he has been speaking right from chapter 1, isn't it? Time and time again, in different, different manners, he's explaining this. Why? Because there are false teachers who have been saying anything, can, you can do anything after all, you know, God loves you, that type of an approach. John is saying, no, 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 no. There's a clear-cut distinction. Either you're walking in the light or you are walking in the darkness. And the word that is used there for he, Jesus has come into the world to take away our sins is in Greek an aoristens. An aoristens is used for an event that has happened in the past and the impact or the blessings or the benefits of that continues for us today. So Jesus is not dying afresh on the cross. Jesus is not being sacrificed afresh on the cross. Sometimes you know, some individuals have that. 
Every time you partake of the communion, there's a fresh sacrifice. No, 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 no. You know, the sacrifice has been once and for all, okay? He died on the cross. He took away. That event happened in the past. And the benefit of that continues for us today. So if you notice, he says over that, you know, uh, he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Okay, look at both those aspects. Sins is used in the plural over there. Okay, and then he says, in him is no sin. Okay, sin is that root original sin from which we have our sinful nature. One man sinned, and then sin entered into the world. And when we say that Jesus died on the cross, you know, for the sin of the world, that's the root sin. All the sins that come through that, for down through the centuries. That's why we have the confidence that Jesus died on the cross for our past, present, and future sins. Why? Because the sins have been included in that original sin for which Jesus paid for. That's why it says, in him there is no sin. The scripture mentions this time and time again in different, different places. Jesus knew no sin. He committed no sin. He was without sin. And this is one of the three key passages in the New Testament dealing with the sinless humanity of Jesus. Peter writing says he did no sin. Paul tells us he knew no sin. But John, one who knew the Lord in an especially intimate way, he puts his testimony across and says, I can definitely say, in him is no sin. There's no inherent sin nature whatsoever in Jesus. And that is why he became the perfect sacrifice. You know? So if he has become the perfect sacrifice, he is our perfect savior, and we have responded to him, and he is the one who is now living in us. John is saying very clearly, hey, you cannot practice sin then. Sin should not be the norm. Sin should not be a, a regular event, as it were, in your life with no change whatsoever. Sinful nature is still there, but now God's nature has now come into our lives. So we do not practice sin, but we are working on power and victory over sin, which God gives to us by virtue of He being in our lives. So this evening we must then. Uh, ask ourselves very clear-cuttedly, which side do we belong to? Is our lifestyle one of practicing sin? Sin is our lifestyle? Or is our lifestyle a lifestyle of holiness? Are we working on that? In a, or are we taking it lightly and say, after all, we are human beings, so what can we do? No, no, no. If Christ is living in us, in a, then you are a new creation. That's what the scripture tells us, isn't it? So this evening, as God's word has come to us, let's you know, examine our lives, ensure that we are on the right track. Because you can fool ourselves because of Satan's deception. And finally, you can miss the boat. But let's make sure, even this evening, that we are on the category of those individuals who are genuine believers, who have responded to what Christ has done for us. And he calls us by name and he says, I know you. Let's bow our heads and pray together.